Uh, ready to do the show? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's Okay, go. I'm just going to riff uh, the opening. Uh, <laughs> riff and that's, ruin that's, the opening. That's the way Greg likes it. He likes yeah. the riffing. It, it makes it. us sound more human. I like it. Oh, you're going to get human. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get more human. <laughs> Welcome to Popping Collars, broadcasting live from our sheltered quarantine locations, and we are happy to be with you again. Uh, my name is Ricardo Avila. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, uh, broadcasting currently from uh, San Mateo, California, in a lovely one-bedroom apartment where you can join us anytime, <laughs> uh, basically. Apartment uh, slash services. church, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, and... Um, so uh, that's who I am, and uh, I'm looking at uh, Greg Knight. Greg, tell us what's going on. How are you doing? I am in Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea. I'm doing fine, Ricardo. You know, I was thinking back to our last episode, and it sounds like it's it sounds like di- listening to different people. Like I'm talking about going on the Camino and Betsy's talking about spring break and you're talking about getting back from Europe. And it's like, wow, how things have changed mm-hmm. <laughs> over the course of a month. Um, I'm reminded of Ferris Bueller, right? Life comes at you pretty fast. True. Nice. Thank you, Greg. Also with us is Betsy. Betsy Gonzalez, what is going on? Not much. I'm living the eternal spring break now. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're doing <laughs> online classes. Um, I'm here at Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and our students never came back from that spring break I talked about. And so now we are all online all the time and uh, and working through all that f- fun lament for the things that won't happen. Um, mm-hmm. I think always yeah. particularly about our senior class. It's really hard. And about some of our international students who are struggling to still get home. It's been very weird to be kind of pastoring without a flock present. It's like it's like summer here, but super weird. So yeah. that's where I am. Wow, thank you, Betsy. Uh, and then also, of course, joining us from the middle of the country is the wonderful, marvelous Liz Easton. Liz, tell us. <laughs> marvelous Mrs. Liz. Oh, I am coming to you from my apartment as well. And, you know, I'm no longer on the highways and byways of Nebraska, which is a huge loss. I'm sad about it. And here's the thing I didn't know about my apartment that I've lived in for 10 years. It's probably, oh, it's old. It's more than 100 years old, the building. And when it's full of people who never leave, it's a very loud place. There's water running. There's there's lots of foot traffic there's dogs barking there's babies crying there's um a whole little village is trapped inside of this apartment so i'm reminded of the sounds of life but i'm also just like oh my god can you guys take off your shoes <laughs> like please take off your shoes that's all well, i want well, and i'm reminded with this throw around like us introducing ourselves like we are never together we're that's never right. in the same space recording yeah. and like all these podcasts mm-hmm. i love and i've listened to like oh well now i'm sitting in my closet recording this podcast and i'm like we've never sat in any sort of studio setup ever together 
Like this is this is normal right. for so, us. Well, and also like I feel like this is a good reminder to people out there that you can maintain rich and meaningful and deep and long relationships with people that you only see on screens. Because in the last 10 years, like I've probably seen Ricardo twice and Betsy once or twice. And that's it. Yeah. We are zero. Yeah, zero. I'm pretty sure. I've never seen you, Greg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) Who are you? I don't even know how I know. (laughs) I know. It is possible. It's all that I'm saying. Our topic today, uh, we're going to do a little traveling in our in our in our imaginations. Our topic today is international pop culture. Lo and behold, <laughs> uh, there is a world out there, and it is a world of creativity. And um, you know, you might have come across, uh, I don't know, Italian cinema when you were in college, or you might have come across Russian lit in high school, or you might have come across uh, British comedies in your thirties. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do our usual round robin and we're going to talk about some form of international pop culture that we love. And so um, the magical it is well with my soul bag with the are those are those gambling chips, Greg, with letters? Do on you them? think do they look like poker chips? I think they're they I think good. they were used for a craft. I think they were probably like angel heads or something like that. And okay, some kind of Sunday yeah. school craft. I mean, there's a lot of online virtual bingo happening right now, Greg. I think you might have. I'm just going to name that. It looks like it, I'm, I'm going to date myself. It looks like a tiddlywink. Tiddlywinks. Oh, oh whoa. <gasps> yeah. You know what? I think I was in tiddlywink in England. We really? passed through tiddlywink uh, on our way to Heathrow from Bath when I was there. Gosh, it was five weeks ago. Wow. Tiddly Greg, exists. Greg, maybe later you can tell us about the 1918 influence outbreak. <laughs> I'll tell you about the, the moving carriages and uh, when we uh, invented popping corn. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. It's going to be great. <laughs> so the magic it is well with my soul bag uh, has elicited one of the angel's heads and the angel's letter on there is L for Liz, yeah. Liz Easton, wow. you get to go first. Thanks. Tell us what's going on in the international the second season. time in a row that I've gotten to go first. You guys know and our listeners know that I like to read a lot. That's one of my hobbies. And I try to, um, especially in the last few years, I've tried to like um, broaden my horizons with international and translated fiction. And so initially when you proposed this, I thought, I want to talk about Japanese fiction. But it turns out I actually have not read a lot of Japanese fiction at all. But I really just wanted to talk about one book, which is a great quarantine read, as a matter of fact. And it's Haruki Murakami's 1Q84. I'm going to hold it up for the screen. Give us a thickness. Can we? Whoa. Whoa. Wow. this copy, this paperback edition is over a thousand pages long. So it was actually, I think it was originally published in three volumes and all three volumes in the translated edition are bound together in one book. And it really is one book, but um, it's a wonderful, uh, I was trying to think like, how do I even describe this book? And I don't know that I entirely can. I don't know if you all have read any Murakami in the past, but the New York Times said, um, I was looking at one of their reviews when this was first published, and they said, um, while anyone can tell a story that resembles a dream, it's the rare artist like this one who can make us feel that we are dreaming it ourselves. The taxi's radio was tuned to a classical FM broadcast. 
Janáček's Sinfonietta. Probably not the ideal music to hear in a taxi caught in traffic. The middle-aged driver didn't seem to be listening very closely either. With his mouth clamped shut, he stared straight ahead at the endless line of cars stretching out on the elevated expressway, like a veteran fisherman standing in the bow of his boat, reading the ominous confluence of two currents. Aumame settled into the broad back seat, closed her eyes, and listened to the music. And so it's a very, um, it's obviously a very long book that involves many characters. And there is a fair amount of magical realism in there, which I typically don't like. But one of the things that I think sets Murakami apart is that um, he is a very straightforward writer. So he might be describing these things that are sort of magical or at times sort of almost sci-fi-ish, but it's this very warm, um, familiar, colloquial writing. So it's very easy to um, access. And it's sort of, um, the whole book has many, many characters in it. Of course, it's so long. But it is really the story of two different people. One who is a young woman who is like an athlete and she teaches like self-defense and she's also an assassin and she primarily um, assassinates men who are abusive to their wives. So that's one, it's her story is one story. And the way that it all gets started is that she, um, in order to kind of take a shortcut and beat traffic, she walks down a construction staircase and she finds herself in a world that is almost exactly like her world, but there are two moons hanging in the sky. And the two moons are a sign to her that, like, oops, I passed into another dimension. But otherwise, life is pretty much the same. So that's one storyline. And then the other is a young man who's a teacher and he's also a writer. And he ends up being the ghostwriter for a teenage girl who has developed this, like, crazy story that like, is it true? Is it not true? But he's going to ghostwrite her story and eventually publish her novel. So, and it's part romance, it's part mystery, it's part um, magic. And the characters are so vivid and so relatable that um, like I missed them and still miss them. I could not tell you to like the synopsis that I just gave you is literally all that I remember about the book. I could not tell you what the book is about, but I still think about the characters and I miss them as if they were my friends. It's such a great book. I just loved it. It was a great um, escapism. So if you're looking for a thousand pages of escapism, I I recommend 1Q84. It's set in Tokyo in the year 1984. And there's some references to the George Orwell book, but not. it's not an easy comparison. They're not that similar. Cool. Thank you, Liz. Wow. You yeah. know, I, I actually... I started that book. I uh, I own it. I have the same copy you have, and I uh, and uh, it was it was just, it, you jump right in that whole scene yeah. about her crossing the highway and going down the stairs and all, and I had to. St- I did not want to stop reading, but like I had a meeting or something, and I put it away, and I never got back to it, and that was like a year ago. But <gasps> even that, the vividness of that scene of those, whatever, 18 pages just stuck with me. And I see the book on my shelf and I get this longing 
but I know that if I start, I'll just probably fall in again. Yeah, you should read it. I actually, when I picked it up today, I thought, um, you know, I have a lot of plans for reading and a lot of books on my shelf for this time of quarantine. Um, but I, I kind of was tempted to read it again. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Oh. Next up is, I don't, I can't read that letter. I, I don't, my screen is clogged up. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's an R. It's an R. Oh. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought it might have been a B. Now I see. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll go next. Um, so yeah, R for Ricardo. You know, when the topic was brought up, I, immediately who came to mind was uh, Federico Fellini and uh, his Italian movies. And I will just say that I think I was I was first exposed to Fellini movies in college at the University of Wisconsin Madison. And there was a, a, a group called the Wisconsin Film Society, you know, one of those groups that just does not exist anymore. But back then, they would hold um, movie nights in like one of the um, like the business classrooms that had a big screen. And uh, they had the most like the coolest, hippest foreign film and cinema kind of movies and everybody who was anyone would go to the movies and I started going to their foreign films and I got a great education. It was just the whole world and the way they thought and their process of understanding life and passion and love and Fellini struck me especially. When I was thinking about him again, I haven't seen any of his movies in a long time. Uh, I think the three that stuck out most for me, I think I've seen nine of them like in college and all. La Dolce Vita, uh, which came out in 1960, uh, Eight and a Half, which came out in 1963, and Knights of Cabiria, which came out in 1957, which I think is my favorite. I guess I just want to describe maybe the opening scenes of two of them and the final scene, spoiler alert, of one of them, uh, because I just saw them again and I thought this is exactly what I loved about these movies. So Eight and a Half is, by the way, named after that was supposedly the Eight and a Half movie he's directed. But the opening scene, I didn't realize till I rewatched it, is basically if you've seen R.E.M.'s video, Everybody Hurts, mm-hmm. where they're in the traffic jam and then they get out of the car and such. They ripped that off of the opening scene of Eight and a Half. It begins with a traffic jam in Rome on some highway and Marcello Mastroianni is kind of, he's like the Robert De Niro to Martin Scorsese of Fellini, if you know what I mean. And so Mastroianni is sitting in a car and there are all these, it's all silent and it's black and white. And there are all these people in the cars around him. And one man just turns and from the car in front of him and just stares right at him. Then he looks out the side window. There's another man staring at him. Then there's another like a young woman fashionably dressed and there's an older man kind of pawing at her. There's a bus full of people like hanging all their hands out the window. It's just weird. And then his car starts to fill up with smoke and he can't get out. And he's kind of pushing at the doors and he's pounding on the doors and he's kicking at the doors and the car's filling up with smoke and he finally gets out and he stands up on top of the car. And then the car starts to move with him on it and he's holding his arms really free, really wide. And then suddenly he's flying through the air. And he's flying through the air and then it cuts to a scene where there's a beach and there's a man on a horse and he gets to another man. And the man said, I think I've got him. And he's got a rope. And at the other end of the rope up in the sky, like a kite, is this guy. And his leg is caught on this lasso and he's trying to be pulled down and he doesn't want to. And then he finally falls down and he wakes up and it was a dream. And he's in this, what do you call that? Uh, you know, the, a spa where he tries to get the waters to feel better. 
and be healed and he's seeing a psychologist and etc it's just intense and beautiful and magical and it makes you think what is going on what is going on and and we should say that rem does credit eight and a half yeah oh they they say they were heavily inspired I think that you can say, yeah, it's basically a copy. Okay, I swear this will be quicker. So La Dolce Vita, <laughs> which was like banned and condemned for being like crude and, and vulgar. And it's a, such a weird slice of life. The thing about Fellini movies is there's so much passion and joy and like craziness and sex and just a lot of like, let's live. So La Dolce Vita opens and the opening scene is basically these two helicopters. And one of them has hanging from ropes a huge statue of Christ, like Christ the Redeemer, like the one in uh, in Brazil with his arms stretched out in blessing kind of, and it's gold and kind of gaudy and it's huge and it's flying across the city. And all the people down, st- are down on the ground are looking up at it and they're running along the streets trying to look and point and these construction workers wave at it. And it's just like floating across the city and it's this hilarious, odd image of uh, of the Christ, you know? And so there are these four women sunbathing on a rooftop and it comes towards them and like, what's that? It's Jesus. Here he comes. Where, where, where is he going? And, you know, and they start waving at the helicopter. And so Jesus passes over them. But then the second helicopter has Marcello Mastroianni, uh, who is, um, gosh, I don't know, a writer or something or a reporter. And uh, his photographer friend, Paparazzo, where we get the word paparazzi from. And they come down and they start flirting with the women. But they can't hear because of the helicopter blades. So they're like, what's your number? Like they're doing a rotary phone <laughs> thing. And so like, they're like, no, we're not going to give you our number. So it's like this weird juxtaposition of this flying giant Christ. And then like the second right. helicopter is like trying to get like a hookup. That's and wild. then Knights of, Kib- Knights of Kiberia, the ending. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't, I shouldn't give it away. So basically it's the, it's the hooker with a heart of gold, the original kind of version of that. And uh, sweet charity became a play and a movie. And it was based on that story. And it's a woman and she's lovely, but she is a prostitute. And, uh, basically, uh, towards the end of the movie, a guy pretends to fall in love with her and, uh, but she, because she's got some money saved up. And she doesn't know it. And she thinks she's really in love. And my life is finally going to change. And so she's telling all her neighbors, I'm off. We're moving away. We're going on our honeymoon. Good luck with your life. And she's like being all braggy about it. But he's trying to swindle her. And he takes her to a secluded cliff. And he's going to push her off and take her money and et cetera. And um, she's all happy. And she's like, I've never been so happy. You're the angel that came into my life and blah, blah, blah. And she's on the edge of the cliff and she looks at him and she realizes like, she sees this look on his face. Cause she's looking very tormented. He's like, are you trying to kill me? And she, I mean, Giulietta Messina is Fellini's actual wife. She's the actress. She's amazing. She just breaks down this. I was in love with you. What? And then she's just brick falls to the ground. She's like, kill me, throw me off the cliff. I don't want to live anymore. And he's like, shut up, shut up. I wasn't going to do anything. And blah, blah, blah. And then finally he just pushes her down, grabs her purse and runs. And you know, she was so in love and she's betrayed. And the look on her face, she's devastated. She pounds the floor and she basically passes out until nighttime. And then you see her again at nighttime and she gets up and she just starts walking along in the woods like a zombie from the cliff and she finds the road and out of nowhere on the road are like nine young people on bicycles with like guitars and an accordion and they're walking along and they're singing this beautiful, fun, 
circusy Italian song and they kind of surround her and they start kind of trying to draw her in and she's just looking down on the ground and walking and walking and slowly but surely she looks up at them and she gets enchanted by the music and there are tears in her eyes and her mascara is running and she starts to smile. The power of art to save us, the the indomitable spirit of someone who is really a, a, a passionate, loving, joyful person at heart. I want a whole podcast of just Ricardo narrating yeah. movies. Like, <laughs> no, you don't. I love like the way you describe it and just the joy of life that comes out of that. And, you know, I, I mean, we've made mention of Italy and the pandemic and all of that stuff. I had the opportunity to spend a week in Italy last summer with a youth pilgrimage to Assisi. And what I saw were people who loved food, who loved being together, who loved talking with their hands. And uh, you just hope that like that spirit is able to continue on. You know, it's just, yeah, because it's beautiful. I am completely agree with all the obstacle and with all the enemies who are between me and what I want to do. I see that they cooperate. They are, uh, they are in a providential manner. They help me to do exactly what, uh, what I want. Because if I have not to fight, it is in the fighting that I can see better what I want to do. It is in the, in the friction, do you say? Friction. friction that thing become more clear. It, it become more clear just because it uh, runs the danger to be far, to go away from me. And uh, all the nostalgia and, and all the love that I am obliged to put in this danger make that things much more uh, desi- uh, wish- wishable. Is that wishable? Is that wishable? Yes. Oh, okay. So the new angel's head poker chip has been chosen and it has the letter G for Greg on it. So Greg, take it away. One of my biggest fears, and I've talked about it on this podcast several times, is I'm so afraid of death. I have a lot of anxiety around just sort of dying and death. And so I'm attracted to popular culture that helps to diffuse like that anxiety a little bit. So it's why I love Six Feet Under. It's why, like, Field of Dreams, Betsy and I just watched <laughs> lately. Um, and just seeing, like, you know, Kevin Costner ask his his dad, like, is there a heaven? And just uh, all those conversations, it just, it, it helps put my soul at ease. It makes me feel peaceful. A few weeks ago, uh, Max von Sydow passed away. And so it made me start thinking about Bergman and Seventh Seal. Ingmar Bergman movies were always this thing that I never wanted to watch because it kind of felt like it was going to be homework. It felt like, man, that's going to be impenetrable and I'm not going to understand it. I'm going to have to watch it like over and over again. And I remember the first time I watched the seventh seal, I was like, Oh, I, I totally get this because this is, this is what I would do. This is how I would try to bargain my way out of death it's just like <laughs> by myself at least a chess game's worth of time i've just taken your queen i didn't say that mia what i see something it's absolutely horrible what is it 
knight is over there playing chess. I know. I see him, too, but it's nothing to get excited about. Don't you see who he's playing with? He's sitting all alone. I wish you wouldn't scare me like no, that. No, no, you're wrong. He's with someone. Who is it? Death. He's sitting over there playing chess with death. Don't say such things. We have to get away from here. Well, we can't do that. We've got to try. They're absorbed in their game. We'll sneak away quietly and hope that they don't see us. Your move, Antonius Block. Have you lost interest in the game? Lost interest? On the contrary. You are worried. What are you hiding? Nothing escapes you. Nothing escapes me. Nothing. And no one. It's true, I'm worried. You're afraid. I see something. What do you see? You're checkmated in the next move. You're right. What did you gain by this reprieve? A great deal. Glad to hear it. I leave you now. We will meet again, and when we do, your life and the lives of those with you will end. And you'll reveal your secrets to me? I have no secrets to reveal. You mean you know nothing? I am unknowing. But the way this movie is set up, there's this knight, played by Max von Sydow, who sees death at the beginning of the movie, and he's not ready yet. And so he challenges death to a game of chess before he dies. And the chess game just kind of keeps going. And he, he'll leave the chess table, uh, Max von Sydow does, to go off and do something uh, with his squire. Um, he also runs into a minstrel troupe. And finally, at the end of the movie, there's nothing left. There's no way to avoid it. Death is coming. And it comes for them in this castle. Uh, and it comes for everyone uh, at the end of the movie. And there are two characters that are able to get away. And they look up on the hill. And they see all of the characters that we've seen so far in the movie. And they're all dancing, like down a mountain. Sort of holding hands, dancing with death across the countryside. I don't know. It's just this whole mix of emotions that comes with it. Uh, and Bergman's really good at doing that, of like giving you multiple emotions at one time. That image is is one of those kind of haunting, comforting images at the same time. And so I guess what I would say is, you know, a lot of these things that we're talking about, Fellini and Japanese literature and Bergman, they sound imposing to start with. But if you just give yourself over and just kind of go into it and just just take it for what it is and just enjoy it, they can reveal some amazing things. Uh, and I think that sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by saying, oh, that seems like it's going to be too hard. Yeah, so that's mine, is Seventh Seal, Ingmar Bergman. Love it. I've never seen it. Another one I haven't seen. Me neither. It's great. It's great. So that dance at the end where they're dancing with death is actually a, a trope that happened in the middle ages and it was called the dance macabre. I looked it up cause I didn't tw- quite remember all the details. So there's this little bit about from Wikipedia. 
the dance macabre, also called the dance of death, is an artistic genre of allegory of the late Middle Ages on the universality of death. No matter one station in life, the dance macabre unites us all. Cons uh, the dance macabre consists of the dead or a personification of death summoning representatives from all walks of life to dance along to the grave, typically with a pope, emperor, king, child, and laborer. Uh, to remind people of the fragility of their lives and how vain were the glories of earthly life. You have to, you have to go into the mystery. Like you've, you've just got to go. Thank you, Greg. So yeah. our final letter, last but not least, Angel Head, is Bet's 8. All right. We don't need to worry about me bringing the class on this last one. <laughs> so for all of you who felt like, oh my gosh, I feel too dumb for this episode. <laughs> I'm your girl right here. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to take that weight off your shoulders. So I, uh, I originally was thinking I was going to do British police procedurals because I do enjoy them very much. Same. I did start rewatching some Luther uh, right around the time that Idris Elba was uh, diagnosed oh. with the coronavirus. Um, but uh, so I was thinking about that. But then another show has shown up and my daughter and I are watching it obsessively. And so my ode to international media is Canadian television oh. is what I would like to Whoa. offer. Degrassi? Degrassi. I, I mean, say. that is one of them, Greg. Right. So. <laughs> So I remember first, probably SCTV was the first Canadian television that maybe, but actually I, I take that back. Kids in the Hall was probably actually the first Canadian television that I became aware of. And then their roots were in SCTV. So then it's like with Fellini, you dig back into the roots to find, <laughs> oh, where did that come from? And Rick Moranis and like all these people who are Canadian, right? And uh, and so then Degrassi Junior High, which goes into Degrassi High, which just makes me want to live in Toronto, and it's so multicultural and interesting. And the show that we've started watching on Netflix is Anne with an E, which is another oh, telling yes. of the Anne of Green Gables story. One day, Princess Cordelia arrived at the most beautiful kingdom in the world. She knew not a soul was worried no one would like her. We sent word to Mrs. Spencer to bring us a boy. You don't want me. There's no point in crying. There's been a mistake is all. Girls can do anything a boy can do and more. Who are you? My name is Anne Shirley Cuthbert and please be sure to spell Anne with an E. Why are you walking with that orphan girl? I won't eat next to dirty trash. Well, you're the cheap eater. We might be some good to her. I make up stories all the time. I could never do that. I don't think imagination is my strong suit. Really? I don't know what I'd do without mine. You're ridiculous. Shall we swear to be best friends forever and ever? I solemnly swear to be faithful to my friend for as long as the sun and moon shall endure. You have such a way with words. Dreams don't often come true, do they? Fiddlesticks. Isn't it wonderful that every day can be an adventure? It's so 
easy to love Green Gables, isn't it? And I remember the OG Anne of Green Gables with Megan Fellows as Anne, which was, I think it might have aired on the Disney Channel, but it was like, it's Canadian based, right? And just Prince Edward Island. My parents forced me to go on a cruise from like New York to like down the St. Lawrence (laughs) Seaway or something. We went to like Mm. Halifax and Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island and. We thought we were going to the Bahamas, but we weren't. Um, but um, <laughs> but to to more modern things like Schitt's Creek, Working Moms, uh, Orphan Black, like a lot of shows that are coming out of Canadian television, and because of streaming services, are finding all this great wealth and audience. Right. I also found that when I started digging, I love Canadian-based HGTV shows. So. I knew I loved anything Sarah Richardson does. People might not know her. She was, she was on the U S HGTV and now she's not. And I also don't have DVR anymore to like record anything with her name in that. I actually downloaded like a VPN at one point to like, try to get around to watch Canadian (laughs) streaming HGTV because I love her so much. You know, then you've got, the property brothers are, you know, and then the income property, like all these Canadian shows that have now come over to, to us shows. So I just really appreciate Canadian television, both comedy, drama, action. And, uh, and so in my searching, I actually found a few things that I think in this, in this time of quarantine, I'm actually going to go find that were recommended that I had never watched. So one of them is called Kim's convenience. It's on Netflix it's about a guy who runs a convenience store, Mr. Kim, in Toronto. And that looked pretty good. There's another one called Letter Kenny, which is uh, kind of out in the sticks. It's on Hulu. It's supposed to be really funny. Uh, I've always heard but have never watched Little Mosque on the Prairie, which is supposed to be really good in the kind of a multicultural. I think it might be Saskatchewan. I'm not sure. But Muslim communities in more rural Canada. And then there's a one show that looks super weird, and I think I want to check it out. It's called Nirvana, the band, the show. And it's two guys who do, kind of, they have some scripted scenes in the show. So their band is called Nirvana, the band. And they're trying to book themselves <laughs> in a theater. And, and, uh, and so some of it's scripted, like, with the two of them. Because it was started as, like, a YouTube kind of show. and right. then But then they'll go out and do all this improv with unknowing strangers. So it's a lot of, like blurred faces of people they're interacting with out in reality and doing this show. And it looks ridiculous, but it looks really funny. It might be just what I need. I got, I I can't, I also just can't more highly recommend the new Anne with an E show that's on Netflix. It is tremendously good. Did you read those books as a kid? I don't know whether I did. Do you remember? So, like, there was Anne of Green Gables. Yes. There was one. There were girls who read that, and then there was Emily of New Moon. Oh. Another yeah. Alan Montgomery um, series. Lucy Montgomery series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was an Emily of New Moon girl, and I tried oh. to reread the first book last year and couldn't. It was not as magical as it was when I was a kid, but man, <laughs> I loved her. Yeah. It's just it's well done. I think I was so in love with the Megan Fellows and of Green Gables, and we went to the house in Prince Edward Island. Oh. That is, she's a fictional character, yeah. But it's <laughs> Anne of Green Gables's house, and so we're on a bus, and they're sing- we're, we're singing Prince Edward Island like P E I, like the bus driver is leading us in these songs. And <laughs> so Betsy, I have a question. Um, yeah. I keep 
I'm endlessly in a search to find shows that William and I can watch. And he won't watch anything violent or anything with swear words. And I'm just like, there's nothing. And two people have recommended Shit's Creek to me. And uh, and then this Anne with an E, it sounds like it would work. Is oh that right? Oh, my gosh. You and William would be <laughs> <laughs> on a cloud over Canada, just floating together, watching this show. It is your show. Any show that overuses the word scrumptious mm. and dramatical. Oh. I mean, I think I think this might be your might be your show. All right. <laughs> I'll get on it. Wow. Thank you. Okay, well, we've been we've been around the world. Here we have it. Uh gosh, Italy, Man? Japan, Sweden, is it? Or yeah. Norway? Yeah, Sweden. And uh Canada. Beautiful Canada. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. The borders are closed, uh, I... but we got there, guys. <laughs> we can go there anytime with Anne with an E. That's right. Thank you all. Those are wonderful. Gosh, maybe this is going to be a, a once a year kind of show where we can check in and try something new. And especially if we can't be traveling together too long or traveling yeah. anywhere for a while, uh, we can go in our minds. And should I just end the show? Uh, you can tell people they can find our podcast on our website at poppincollegepodcast.com. You can find our podcast <laughs> on our website at poppingcollarspodcast.com. <laughs> and you can find us anywhere you found us now. You know, a popping collars t-shirt to wear around the house while you are sheltering in place oh, would be a totally. fine gift for your loved one. That's yeah. right. Do we have t-shirts? Yes, we do. Yeah, you can put them in your Easter basket. There you go. Aww. So order your popping collars t-shirt. Check us out, uh, and uh, we are still here. We are still broadcasting, and we are still um, thinking about religion and pop culture together. So thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Greg, for uh, being on the show. And I think it's uh, over and out. And just with one uh, one caveat, one reminder that you keep those collars pop. Pop, pop. Yeah, I love it. Yay. I love it. Good job, everybody. Good job. That's wow. great. Did you get that I dropped an Easter egg earlier in the podcast when I said sorry? Sorry. No, sorry. That's Canadian. No. Canadian. Philly Canadian. Oh. Canadian. Sorry. Because everybody hurts.